0: You're listening to Irish Radio Canada Home and Abroad and I have the privilege this morning of chatting with Captain Paul Cavanagh who is on the L.E. James Joyce which is part of the Irish Naval Service and the L.E. James Joyce will be making a voyage across the Atlantic from, I guess, Hall, Bolden and Cork to Halifax and uh, Paul's going to fill us in on some of the uh, reasons why these kind of journeys are important and what can be gained from it. Uh, first of all, Paul Good
1: morning, Austin, or should I say, good afternoon from Ireland. I think it's five hours between ourselves and yourselves.
0: Paul, you're captain of the L.E. James Joyce. An auspicious year to be on board that vessel. Yeah, so,
1: Austin, I'm actually the second in command. I'm the um, executive officer, the second in command of the uh, James Joyce. The captain is Lieutenant Commander Dunica Cahillan and uh, he's actually just engaged in, in a bit of manoeuvring the ship there, so he's up doing that, so that's what I'm filling in in for, for him.
0: Okay. You're on the James Joyce, and as say an auspicious year. Because it's such an auspicious year, and the ship is called the Ellie James Joyce, was the ship engaged in any of the, the commemorative celebratory activities this year?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Austin. So this is something that we were involved in back in uh, July of this year, so obviously it's the 100th um, anniversary of the Ulysses, so... We had the honor of being up in Dublin and we were birthed alongside a port called Dunleary up in Dublin, and we were there for a couple of days and we were able to join in the festivities celebrating the hundred year anniversary. Um, there is a local group up there which is um called um, the James Joyce Tower, and we got a chance to go up and meet all the individuals who are volunteers up there in the tower and basically it was kind of a public demonstration that day, and they were open to the public and showing people around of all the different memorabilia that Joyce would have had, and they had a lot of um, pictures up on the wall, and obviously then uh, a couple of different extracts and copies of Ulysses as well, and they very kindly gifted us, uh, the captain and the ship, um, a copy of the uh, Ulysses, one of the original ones as well, that we retain on board as well, but it was great to be involved in, as you say, for such such a special year as well, to be involved in the celebrations,
0: And, Paul, a bit about yourself. What attracted you to the Irish Naval Service? That's a funny
1: question you should ask that, Austin, because I'm still asking myself that. And all of a sudden, uh, 12 years later, and I'm still in here, so I must be doing, or the Navy must be doing something right for me. But um, it all kind of started back in 2010 when my older brother, he actually applied for the Army and he got accepted to the Army. And that kind of opened up my eyes to the Defence Forces as a whole, which obviously the three components is the Army, the Naval Service and the Air Corps. And it was kind of just one of those things where I had no previous sea-going experience or wasn't really into sailing or or big into swimming or anything like that. And it was one of those things where I just said I'd apply for it. And all of a sudden, as I say, here I am 12 years later and ready to deploy in the foreign ports say visit to America and Canada. So quite happy with a decision that a younger Paul made 12 years ago.
0: And when you say younger Paul, like, you know, there's always this thing, join the Navy and see the world. But, you know, there's always also uh, wanting to kind of have lots of room around about you and, while if you say yourself you really didn't come from a sailing background or a water background um living on board a ship can be <coughs> excuse me can be confining did that take some getting used to
1: yeah that's actually a good point to you, that you raised there are and it does i suppose in terms of From your normal home and civilian day-to-day life where you normally get up and you go out for a walk and you can do whatever you want, go for a run, a bit of exercise in the evening, it did kind of take a bit of getting used to when you join your first ship. But probably one of the most important things is when you do join your first ship, you look around and you're accompanied by another 40 to 50 sailors on board that are going through or certainly had gone through the exact same thought process as yourself. And that's why, and it is a bit of a cliche, but the ship and the ship's crew are kind of your family on board. You know, everyone kind of has up and down days at times. And at times you have to turn to these people because they are your family. Well, away from your proper family at home. But at the end of the day, you could be out of phone signal for a couple of days, etc. So you just have to turn to these people. But it's these people that will bring you up and ensure that everything is going to be all right if you are having any problems or anything like that. But sometimes initially it does take a bit of getting used to. But as I say, you're surrounded by uh, 40 to 50 people that have gone through it all or certainly are feeling the same. And uh, what length of the vessel is the James Joyce? So the James Joyce, is she's 90 metres, and there's four in her class. So we have um, what we call P60 classes. So each of them have a pennant number. So James Joyce is Papa 6'2", and before is Samuel Beckett, Papa 6'1", William Butler, Yates, 6'3", and George Bernard Shaw, uh, Papa 6'4". They're all the exact same lengths, pretty much the exact same specs, bar one or two minor differences that would have happen- that would have come from, we'll say, uh, Samuel Beckett, who was the first in her class, then just a couple of minor changes changes but they're all 90 meters long.
0: So then that's big enough that I guess when you're on the high seas um while I accept it's not quite stable uh, at least it's you can get used to it.
1: Yeah, 100% Austin you're absolutely right and this is something that Ireland looked at as a country that obviously when you look at our sea area and it's quite a vast sea area especially out on the west coast and also the south coast there that the seas on the west coast obviously are probably one of the most hostile in the world. And certainly the vessels that we had before the P-60s came along, as we call them, um, probably wouldn't have been fit for that and the increasing sea state. So that's what these vessels were built with in mind. They're a bit longer. They have a bit more technology to handle rougher seas, etc. So, yeah, she's, as you say, not exactly 100% stable, but well able for it and a lot more comfortable than what has gone before.
0: So, Paul, in order to get to the position you're in, you know, you can trace a career path in an awful lot of white-collar jobs. Uh, you know, you start at the bottom yes. and you get... So in in the naval services, how do you work your way up to being second in command?
1: Yeah, so to take you back to the start of my career, Austin, I would have started as a naval cadet in 2011. 2011. So your cadetship is basically two years long. So that's where you go through kind of basic military training. And then you do a couple of sea terms where you spend a bit of time at sea um, and get used to all kind of navigation, chart work, all that sort of stuff. As soon as you get commissioned, so that's a two-year process, then you have to go back to college. And you're in college then for about another two to two and a half years to get what we call is your naval watchkeeping certificate. So once you are granted your naval watchkeeping certificate, that qualifies you to be able to take a watch on the bridge of a ship unsupervised. So where before all your other time on the bridge would have been um, under studying the actual officer to watch as a trainee. Now, it's basically given your driving licence for a ship where you're able to go up the bridge and the captain is down below in his cabin and you're responsible pretty much for the safety, safety of the ship. So, we do that as soon as you get your certificate, then you spend normally two years attached to a ship. So that two now two years isn't two years away from home, it's obviously split into different weeks, both ashore and afloat. And then you'll come into what we call a shore based appointment, and you might do that for two to three years before returning out to the fleet again. And normally, Um, in your second C appointment, which this one would be, your second C appointment qualified, um, you'd normally get the chance of um, being the second in commander, the executive officer, which, which I have.
0: And Paul then, when you say you go out in a deployment, what would a typical deployment on the water be? How long?
1: So our normal typical patrols is what we would say in four week duration. So normally we'd start our patrol, we'll say on a Monday, and um, about 12 days into that so that's the second weekend the ship will come back to the naval base and that will be a chance for the ship to refuel re-ration take on some more stores etc if necessary and people get to go home then for the weekend for that friday saturday sunday before returning out to sea then again on monday for another 12 days and then finishing then at the end of a four-week patrol is what we call it, or a four-week cycle And then at the end of that four week cycle, the ship will normally then remain in the naval base for a couple of weeks. So that could be anything from two to four weeks in duration before recommencing then another four week patrol.
0: And you use the term patrol because the function of the naval services is to patrol the the, uh, Irish waters.
1: Yes, 100%. Yeah. So our main function is to conduct what we call maritime defense and security operations. So again, patrolling Ireland's EEZ and it's very interesting and not a lot of the people would probably be aware of it. But if you even go onto Google and Google the Irish exclusive economic zone, you'll see how far our territorial waters extend, particularly as I mentioned before, off the west and south coast. So it's quite a vast area of, of water to patrol as well. So, um, that's, that's
0: probably the term of patrol comes from. Yeah traditionally i know when i before i emigrated and everything else uh, at that time patrolling uh for protecting the fish uh territory would have been the prime function i guess but uh, would that still be the prime because things have changed and very recently we're all very well aware that a russian submarine came quite close to irish territorial waters
1: yeah 100% Austin and I suppose not to give you the cliche answer but uh, no two days are the same so on a normal day we could be tasked with doing what we call sea fishery protection um, so that would be to go out and inspect fishing vessels at sea to make sure they're being compliant with the various regulations various laws etc and then the next day as you said you could be tasked to go out and investigate another foreign warship in our waters or we could be involved in a search and rescue or a search and recovery exercise etc so again In your patrol, it's normally broke down into different sectors and for each sector, we'll be given a different uh, number of taskings as well. But those taskings could vary from sea fishery protection to to pretty much anything else that may be uh, happening in in our waters.
0: Forgive me for bobbing around, but I can go back to a technical question. What speed are you guys able to achieve? And if you tell me in knots, then try and translate that into miles per hour or kilometers per hour
1: yeah so the the speed that we would normally do is i suppose if you went on to Google or wikipedia the the answer you'd probably get is about twenty two to twenty three knots so normally, what we say is that's normally if you double that that's normally what you get for kilometers and minus is a small bit off so if I was to say twenty two it'd be forty four so about forty kilometers then would would be i suppose to equate it to um a person's uh, car speed or
0: or something similar to that. Right, right. Um, Now, tell me about why would the Irish Naval Service come across the Atlantic and visit Canada and visit Halifax?
1: Yeah, so we are, first of all, very much looking forward to our foreign port state visit. So we've been tasked to conduct a foreign port state visit, which will include um, stops at three ports. So the first port call is Boston. The second one is Portland, Maine. And then the third and final stop is Halifax, Canada. So it's a tasking, I suppose, on behalf of the Department of Foreign Affairs. And what it is really is to kind of promote Ireland abroad. So um, a lot of people that we're going to invite on board now, we've obviously a number of functions between the three different ports, etc. But they'll obviously heard of Ireland and they'll have heard of, oh, yeah, I have a relative or a long distant relative that is Irish in this way, etc. But what we want to do is we want to try and promote Ireland abroad. And it's a fantastic opportunity to bring an Irish state ship into these foreign ports and to promote Ireland.
0: So on a typical uh, port of call, then, how long will you spend in Halifax? And over the period that you're there, uh, how for a, how much of that time is the vessel open to the public? Yeah, so
1: what we um, we plan to sail this Saturday, the 3rd of September, and we're expected duration is anywhere between six to eight days. So that will just depend on um, weather, et cetera, if we do need to head further north or further south. The first port of call is Boston, so we plan to stay there for five nights before then transiting one night up to Portland, Maine, staying there for another five nights, and then again another night's transit up towards Halifax, and we will stay in Halifax then for four nights. So the intention is to be open to the public as much as we can in terms of promoting Ireland again in these foreign ports. So I think we're open in Halifax for out of the four days. We're staying there certainly for three out of the four days, yeah.
0: And Paul, I guess you guys are allowed off the ship when, when you're in port to explore the ports yourselves.
1: Oh, 100% Austin, yeah. So um, if there's obviously we'll be busy in terms of having people on duty and looking after the ship, the safety and security of the ship. So that's kind of the initial, we'll normally have eight people that will do that each day, eight separate people. And then obviously we'll have people then tasked to do um, tours as well for any personnel that wish wish to come down and see the ship. Um, and at the same time we'll have a number we'll be hosting a number of functions on board as well. So we'll have staff required for that. But certainly if there is any downtime, which there which there will be, it'll be my intention to get the crew off absolutely and get them to see these places because it's not very often that you get to do um, as we say a normal four week patrol will probably be around Ireland and this uh, four week patrol is. Um, a small bit different in terms we're heading a good bit further west than normally we would. So absolutely, it's not often you get to see these places. So where we can maximize time ashore for the crew 100%, that would be the intention.
0: So, Paul, when you look back over the 10 odd years, what would you say is the highlight of your career so far then?
1: Um, I probably, that's a good question, Now I probably have um, two or three different highlights, to be honest. One of them would obviously be fulfilling the current role I have now is, in the second-in-command of uh, the James Joyce. The One of the other ones was I worked with the Royal Canadian Navy in 2018. I did an exchange and did the um, what we call a fleet navigators course, or the F&O course, over on the west coast in Vancouver and Victoria Island. That was about four to five months in duration. Well, it was very demanding and tough course. It was very rewarding then to bring those skills back to back to Ireland then as well, and and I suppose enhance our um, capability here.
0: So again, that type of it's a bit like being an exchange student for all practical purposes, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was pretty much something like that. And I suppose on day day one or day two, I was told that I might have to talk a bit slower. That I thought I was probably surrounded by my normal <laughs> Irish buddies, and you know the, the accent accent might have been a bit bit, uh, bit too strong and a bit too quick, but uh, no, it was very very rewarding, and there was five students on it on it in total, and thankfully we all passed the course as well, so no, it was very very good.
0: So then, in the normal course of a career, Paul, while you're now uh, second in command, how what would be the no- your hope that you might get your own uh, commission?
1: Yeah, so the, absolutely, and I suppose that's probably anyone's really uh, real dream when they do join the naval service is that you always aspire to have command of a stage ship. So um, I'm obviously working very closely with the captain, lieutenant commander, Donica Catalan, on board here, and I'm due to go ashore, rotate ashore in early next year. So I'll probably pick up a shore appointment then. Um, for a couple of years and then certainly when I'm due back to sea then hopefully the next appointment potentially could be as a captain of state ship absolutely yeah.
0: The crisis that exists in the world at the moment where there are people uh, migrating on small vessels uh, I know uh, it's particularly a problem within the Mediterranean but is anything like that happening in Irish waters? Um, Not in Irish waters, Austin. Now, obviously, what what
1: you've quoted there is um, a mission that we were obviously involved in there between um, um, in the last couple of years. Now, we haven't been involved in that mission in the last year or two, but the previous three to four years, we were involved in that um, in terms of help and rescue migrants that were, as you say, in the Mediterranean as well. So, But in terms of Irish waters, no, we, we haven't seen any evidence of that yet.
0: Right. Um, Paul, I'm going to wrap up it's been tremendous having a chat which I've learned a huge amount um, I hope that you get an opportunity to really uh, get around Halifax and take in some of the wonderful sites that are around there, It's tremendous Irish history down there um, and uh, that the sea voyage across the Atlantic proves to be as uneventful as possible
1: Absolutely Austin thank you very much for your well wishes and I just want to say to any of your listeners that are listening, make sure if you if you do have the opportunity to come down and see us while we're in Halifax, absolutely do. Um, and as you say, you'll you'll probably see a lot of things that you wouldn't have seen before on board, etc. So if there is any listeners that are interested or are thinking of coming down, by all means, please do come down, and um, we'll show you what we have to offer. Good Paul <laughs> Austin, thanks very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Please God.